You're listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Join us as we learn from successful firefighters and fire service leaders on how to achieve excellence. When lives depend on us, success is our only option. What is going on, everyone? So glad you are joining us for another episode of the Firefighter Success Podcast. I'll be your host for the show, and I'm also the author of Firefighter Success, Jim Moss. Well, here we are for episode 43, and my guest today is someone who serves as a great mentor, educator, and inspiration to many, including myself. PJ Norwood is the Director of Training at the Connecticut Fire Academy. He is a retired Deputy Chief from the East Haven Fire Department in Connecticut and has served four years with the Connecticut Army National Guard. Chief Norwood is an FDIC classroom workshop and hot instructor a fire engineering advisory panel member, a fire engineering book and video author of the evolving fire round research-based tactics and the tactical perspectives DVD series. PJ is also a contributing author to Pass It On 2 and Pass It On 3. He also serves on the UL FSRI technical panel for the study of residential attic fire mitigation tactics and exterior fire spread hazards on firefighter safety. PJ is a public safety education group advisory member of ULFSRI, and he has lectured across the United States and internationally. He is also a certified uh, to the fire instructor two, fire officer three, fire marshal, and paramedic levels. Wow, this guy does a lot. So Chief PJ Norwood, welcome to the Firefighter Success Podcast. So glad you could be with us today. Thanks, Jim. I, I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you and uh, catch up a little bit. Uh, it's been a while. This last year has been a struggle for so many people, and it's definitely impacted our ability to see many of our friends from, from across the country, um, you know, with traveling and, and teaching and FDIC being uh, summer school this year. It's been a different year, so I appreciate this opportunity to catch up with you. Yeah, this is long overdue, long overdue, but I'm glad we can make it happen. So, you know, you are someone who has had a long, successful career in the fire service. You're, you're happily retired from your position as a deputy uh, fire chief uh, of training with East Haven. However, you're in a new role now. Um, so, uh, you know, I can't say you're necessarily enjoying retirement, but you've shifted <laughs> your role in your career right now, and you're doing great things with the fire academy. Um, so, you know, I say you're someone who's had a long, successful career because you're someone who truly uh, lives out all the principles I write about and we talk about on this podcast. But the first question I like to ask you, um, which is the question I ask all my guests at the beginning of each podcast is, what does success mean to you and how can every firefighter achieve it? I, you know, I appreciate the, the opportunity, uh, as I said, and sp especially speaking about success um, and what it means to me. I started out in the fire service very, very young from uh, riding my bike into the firehouse as an explorer. And I learned early on is set goals. Um, so success to me means setting goals, which should continuously evolve. Um, and as you continuously set those goals, you work towards achieving those. And success for me is achieving the goals that I set. You know, every year, um, multiple goals get set. You know, sometimes uh, they're achieved, sometimes they're not achieved. But continuously setting those goals for uh, achievements, whether it's personal, whether it's family, whether it's work-related, 
uh, setting those goals and working hard and doing whatever is necessary to achieve those goals, to accomplish those goals. Um, and that's how I would define success. You look at my goals from, you know, when I was 20 years old to, to now my forties, almost 50, you know, my goals have definitely shifted and changed. Uh, but every single year, personal family and work related, I achieve success, uh, because of the goals that I set for myself and my family. I love how you distinguish different areas of your life. You know, you're, you got work related, you got family related, maybe personal goals um, outside of those two as well. Um, and just a follow up uh, to setting goals. What has helped you be successful in how you set your goals? Do you write them down? Are they just mental for you? Um, and what are the parameters uh, that you have within setting goals for yourself? So, you know, I know, you know, the, the more you read and the more good people you listen to, you know, they, they always advise writing those goals down. So they're, you know, they're a stark reminder in front of you. I've never done that. Um, I just uh, never felt the, that was necessary for me, you, you know, and establishing those goals and setting those as a, as a, as a mental note um, has worked for me. Um, you know, those are always different. And there's days that, you know, middle of the year, I'll set a goal for myself or, you know, it can be a goal for next week or next month. And, you know, for the, the honeydew list for home, I want to <laughs> a lot of goals for me that change every day and more goals get added, you know, so it's, it's never been one of those things where I've written those goals down and uh, parameters. I don't, I don't know how I would define those. I mean, it depends on what we're talking about, whether it's work related, person related, you know, there's, there's times you just wake up. So, you know, I'm going to just chill out today. I'm going to have a goal of, you know, just relaxing and catching up with family and friends today. Mm -hmm. You know, so those goals are, are, are always different, always developing uh, each day, each week, each month, and each year for all the different pieces and parts of our lives that, that are important for us. And one of the things I love that you talked about and you mentioned is that you evolved with your goals, right? And your goals may have changed. So you may have achieved some goals, uh, some goals may be in process, right? And and you said you have evolved with them. And I think that's really important for us as, as firefighters and in our personal lives too, is that to know that uh, we need to change and evolve with uh, the circumstances that we're presented with uh, so that we're successful with our goals. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You, you know, you look at, we can relate it to the fire ground or it can relate it, relate it to our personal lives you know, my goals have changed, you know, from, you know, 15 years ago when my daughter was just, you know, a, you know, a very young child to now where she's a sophomore in college, you know, my goals have changed and, and, and evolved as she's changed. You know, my wife and I have been uh, friends since middle school, dating since high school. Uh, so our goals have changed and evolved over the years. You know, the, the fire ground, which I know we'll probably get to in this conversation, the fire ground has evolved. So the way that I was taught and trained to, you know, to fight fires when I started the fire service in, in 88 as an explorer to now um, has changed. So everything evolves and it's, it's necessary to continue to evolve personally and professionally with everything that we do so we can keep up to date and make sure that we're, we're, we're headed in the right direction. We're doing the right thing. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and so for my, my next question, you've kind of evolved, you know, you've retired from being a training chief at, at East Haven, right? And now you are the uh, director of training at the Connecticut Fire Academy. So that's a completely different shift in your career and you've evolved with that. So what is it like uh, heading up the Connecticut Fire Academy now? 
Well, it's, it's a trip, man. It's a lot of fun. You know, retirement from the fire service at my age uh, was not something I was uh, truly planning on. Uh, <laughs> but as you say, goal, goals change. You know, I had a goal of, uh, you know, I started as an explorer at the lowest point of that department. And I had a goal of, of achieving the, becoming the chief of the department. Um, you know, things didn't work out that way. Went out dead as a third in command. And um, our collective bargain agreement was changing. Uh, the medical benefits was changing. My personal life has uh, changed over the last couple of years. It was important for me to protect those medical benefits. So I had the time in. So uh, I stepped back and retired, and uh, which worked out great. Um, the Connecticut Fire Academy, I was an adjunct instructor there for a, a very short period of time, um, just about a year now, actually. I was hired as an adjunct instructor. And uh, the director of training position was vacant. It was nothing that I really had my eyes on, to be honest with you. It's, um, it came across one of the, the listservs, email distribution sites, and uh, my actually chief from my department sent it to me, as well as a couple other people, says, this is, you know, your name right all over. You should apply. And I kind of, you know, looked the other way the first couple of times it came through and they said, you know, I have nothing to lose. Let me just, uh, you know, got some, t- I got some extra time in my hands now, so I'll prepare. I'll go in for an interview and, and see what happens. And uh, lo and behold, July 2nd was the start date. And it's a, uh, it's a great opportunity. You know, I've always looked at my career and, and training has been always very important for me um, from, you know, being a volunteer to a career firefighter to a, a battalion chief and then um, then deputy chief of training. I've always looked at trying to impact, educate and help those around me as much as I can, whether it was in the fire ground or, or, or precepting new paramedics. Um and, you know, when I was a battalion chief, that was my shift. You know, we have a small department, so it was a shift of, of 11 and being an impact those 11 firefighters and train them and educate them and assist the training officer then. And then when I became the deputy chief of training, I was like, oh, this, this is cool, man. Now I can really impact the entire career department and the volunteers because we're a combination department. And I always found a lot of a lot of pride in that to really work hard to impact the current firefighters the older firefighters that were around, you know, longer than me, as well as the, the next generation. Uh, and this role is very, very same. You know, we have uh, my very first recruit class came in the door. We're just starting uh, week six this week. And I had uh, 71 recruits uh, varying of age from, you know, 30 departments throughout the state of Connecticut. And I have the ability through my instructors. I'm not out there uh, training and educating them directly each day, but through my instructor cadre, being able to impact the fire service of Connecticut in many, many ways. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot to learn. Somebody asked me recently, uh, you know, how I like the job and if I've learned everything and I'm looking at probably a year and a half, maybe up to two years before I actually learn all the pieces and parts of, of this job. Um, but it's a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying, uh, touching so many departments throughout the state all at the same time. Well, I couldn't think of a person who would be a more perfect fit. As I said in your intro before, you know, you're a mentor, an educator, and an inspiration to many. And I really meant that uh, because you've done that for me uh, and so many others. And like you said, you are just so passionate about training. So it to me, seeing you in that position now is just like the perfect fit, especially in this stage of your career. Um, but for my next question, and I know you haven't been there, you know, too long. You said since July. Um, but you could also answer this question as it pertains to the new firefighters that you saw coming in uh, to East Haven. So, you know, I'm sure you see a lot of firefighters come and go um, and as they come up through the fire department or the fire academy. You know, what are those qualities that you see in the successful recruits or successful firefighters that really distinguishes them uh, from just being like an average mediocre recruit? 
Uh, absolutely. That, that's an easy one. For me, it's, it's passion and drive. You know, I would, as a shift commander, as a training officer, and now the director of training is very similar to things that I've always told my daughter in, in sports um, as she's an athlete. I would always want somebody who may not have the most skill, but somebody who wants to learn, has drive, has passion, is going to work hard to be as good as everybody else. You know, we get people through the door all the time that, you know, they have all the skills, but they don't care. Uh, they have all the skills, but they don't have the passion or driver or love for the job or love of the sport. Uh, I would rather have somebody who has that drive and passion, wants to learn, is going to work hard every day to be better. Um, and that's somebody that I always look towards uh, for future recruits as well as current recruits or in, even as a training chief as new recruits coming in the door. Uh, it's very, very telling. Uh, when you see somebody come through the door who really has love for the job and how well they do, especially during their probationary period. And then as the years start to click by the one, the five, the 10 years click by those that come in the door that have that love for the job, they always have that love for the job. As long as the leadership is doing the right thing to kind of foster that and make sure that it doesn't, uh, they don't lose that love for the job. And now at the Academy, you know, 71 recruits came in the door and uh, I have some great recruits, man. Some with some amazing passion, uh, varying levels of ability, some with experience, some with zero experience, but you can clearly see the ones who work hard every day and want to be better. And they're not always the best of the class as far as skills, but they're the ones that really work hard every day. And those are the ones that stick out to me. I love that you said passion and drive, because that's something I completely agree with. And you said that it's way more important than skill or talent, right? Because that passion and drive that can eventually get you the skills and talent, right? And so that's what I'm going to ask you right now as kind of a follow-up is, can we teach passion? And so I have my own thoughts on this, but I want to ask you, can we teach passion? Can we teach passion? I don't think we can. Um, I think we can teach, you know, and educate and somebody can be love the job and learn to love the job. Um, but passion, I think you have it or you don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's, it's in us, right? It's part of our heart. It's part of our, our DNA, what, what makes us go and drive every day. You know, I think we could, you know, so love of the job and passion are two different things. Mm -hmm. and I don't think we can teach passion. I think we can learn to have passion for something by emulating others and mm -hmm. learning to love something more than we did yesterday. Um, but I don't know if we can actually teach it. I think we could demonstrate it and show what it looks like, um, which some may say that's teaching it, but I'm, I'm not sure about that one, Jim. That, that's, a, that's a good thing to ponder. I'll be thinking about definitely long after this call today. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've thought about it personally, and I've, I believe that passion cannot be taught, but it can be caught. And you, you just referenced to that, you know, when leaders around us or even our peers, when they have passion and they are living that out through their example, I think that's what inspires others. It's, it inspires us, right? So if I'm hanging out with, with a bunch of slugs at my firehouse who have no passion and they're completely negative, they gossip um, and, uh, you know, they'll suck the life out of you. But if you're surrounded with individuals, uh, you say, I just came from that crew and I'm with a new crew of individuals who are passionate, uh, they are going to inspire me. So uh, I don't think it can be taught necessarily, but it can be caught from those other individuals. So that's what I'm going to propose. What do you think? 
I like it. You know, I like it. Co-op, but co-op. I kind of like that little catchphrase. And uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think you make, uh, you make some great points. So let's talk a little bit more about training. So when it comes to firefighter training, what could we all be doing better as, as a fire service as a whole? What should we be spending more time and energy on? That's a, that's a great conversation of topic that I've been having recently with my instructor cadre at the recruit program. Um, you know, in the recruit school, we have to balance certification with skill mm-hmm. and really trying to make sure that we set up our, our recruits to be, you know, like to say, jump seat ready, um, but also pass the certification exams, the firefighter one, the firefighter two, the rescue corps, the hazmat so trying to find that balance between providing enough classroom education so they're well educated but also providing enough time where there's you know sets and reps and actually hands-on time so we are really looking at that uh, from a recruit perspective and are looking to really redefine and rewrite our curriculum for next fall's class to decrease the amount of PowerPoint, I guess you can say, sitting in the classroom by 20 to 30 percent and increase our sets and reps and hands on by 20 to 30 percent. But that definitely brings in some challenges because we have many different learning styles, especially recruits coming through the door and many different generations. You know, we have every you know generation, this current class, we have, uh, you know, 20, you know, early you know, 19, 20 year olds, all the way up to uh, almost 40, 42 year olds. We have a lot of, you know, different generations, different learning styles. So I think from the fire service, we have to make sure that we're not pushing the scale towards just certification. While that's very important, and we have to have that education. We have to make sure that we're not taking away the sets and reps and decreasing the amount of time where we're actually learning the skills. Because um, at two o'clock in the morning as a, as a chief, I'd rather have somebody that has great skills and maybe only got an 80 on the test versus a 90 on a test. So I really agree with that because it's so hard because when we're in the training academy, we want to be able to get that certification, right, to to pass the test. So sometimes we are studying for the test, but we all know once we get on the job, if we're not already on the job, one of the first thing our crew or our officer might say to us is, hey, forget everything you learned in the academy. This is how it's really done, right? So it's it's that difficulty in that balancing act of, like you said, certification versus true skills. So it sounds like you guys are really trying to strike that balance between those two because you know, and, and it, this doesn't only apply to firefighters in, in training academies. This applies to real life, you know, to to our children who are coming up through the, the educational system. You know, maybe we should spend more time teaching them how to do taxes and, and real practical skills as opposed to, you know, calculus per se. Um, so, you know, I could I could talk about that for a while, but uh, I really identify with what you said of, of, you know, finding that balance between studying for the test per se and really studying and having the skills for the test of real life once we're out on the fire ground and in the firehouse. Would you agree? I agree. You know, and I propose this uh, curriculum rewrite to the the career chiefs of Connecticut because they're the ones that kind of in here in Connecticut govern our recruit program. Uh, In Connecticut, fire chiefs hire their, their recruit firefighters and then they send them to us. So in our recruit program, we have you know, firefighters from city departments, 
And we have firefighters from very rural departments, you know, departments riding four per engine company and firefighters running, you know, two per engine companies. So we're trying to really educate many different levels of, of recruits that are going back to many different le- fire departments as far as resources and, and what they have. You know, some have an officer riding up front, some are riding up front in the front seat, their, their first day to, at work. So really trying to strike that balance to make sure we give them the education, but also educate them to having the skills so they can succeed um, on the fire ground from day one. And it's a challenge. And I've, re- I've sort of challenged my recruit coordinators, to, you know, I, I'm shooting high, but to de- decrease our PowerPoint and our classroom activity by 30 to 40 percent. You know, no one will probably end up living that 20 to 25 percent reduction of classroom time and increasing that in hands-on time. Ultimately, it will cost, you know, things I have to look at will cost me more to run that program because it's going to cost me more instructor hours, but ultimately it's worth it. I want to make sure Mm -hmm. that these recruits that are going back truly have the skill and the ability to do their jobs. But it's also important, like I said, really to pass those tests. And it's important to me to make sure that we're educating them so that when they come out, they're not just coming out with a bunch of skills, that they are certified firefighters that meet the standards. Oh, 100%. And I love that you're, this is the theme of the podcast right now. This episode is evolving, right? So you saw some things that weren't necessarily beneficial or working. uh, You know, it's probably been done for years there in a certain way. um, And you decided to identify, discuss with other instructors, identify what maybe the shortcomings of the program might have been, and you're evolving with it to improve it uh, for better delivery to, to the recruits. Uh, which will only benefit them as they they go back into their own fire department. So um, I do want to talk about what you have been doing with Captain Sean Gray of Cobb County Fire in Georgia. Uh, you guys started a social media page and a website called Stop Believing, Start Knowing. And it's fun to see how it, it has evolved because I remember, I remember when you guys posted uh, on maybe it was your Facebook page or Twitter or whatever, and you just put out the question. You said, what does stop believing, start knowing mean to you? And, you know, I gave my response to it. Um, and uh, I, it's fun that that was many years ago, but uh, it, it has definitely evolved into something that's pretty great and some projects that have come out of that. But what does that phrase mean to you? Uh, and what does stop believing, start knowing? What is it all about? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. And it's definitely a subject that, you know, Sean and I enjoy speaking about um, because sometimes the optics and the perception of things are different from what they truly are. Um, Stop believing, start knowing started, as you mentioned, many years ago. Sean was actually uh, at a research burn with Steve Kerber and they were having a discussion. And Steve Kerber, and if you know Steve, he likes to share everything with the fire service. He simply said, I just want firefighters across this country to stop believing everything and start knowing their job and mm. knowing the environment. Nice. And Sean says, I love it. Can I use that? And, you know, of course, Steve said, yeah, use it however you want. And so that's where the, the phrase stop believing, start knowing has come from. And, and Sean and I are, are those guys that we don't want you just to believe, you know, him or I or believe Jim Moss, or believe any of the other F- great FDIC instructors. We want you to go listen and then validate what we're actually saying. Look at the research, look at the education, look at the manuals, look at fireground references, combine that with your personal experiences, and then truly know, right? For, for many, many years, you know, we would read a book and that was gospel, right? We did what that author w- would tell us to do. Um, but times have changed. 
we want our firefighters to know the why behind what we're doing. And in order to know the why, you have to truly understand. So we want firefighters to know what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing, but also the, the recourse, right? Because for every action, there's, an, there's something else that's going to occur positively or negatively if done right or if done wrong. So truly knowing your job, knowing the fire ground, knowing the fire behavior and the fire dynamics, which is one of our passions. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, Stop Leaving, Start Knowing has come from. As you mentioned, it has definitely evolved. It started as, a, you know, uh, we didn't really know too much about social media, except the, you know, the personal uses of social media that we all had at that point. And, and uh, we've created a, uh, a page that has very evolved. Like you said, there's over, I think there's over 110,000 followers now. Um, wow. Regular interactions, you know, in the hundreds of thousands per, per post. Um, it's grown to something that Sean and I never imagined it would and didn't set out with that goal. Um, our goal was to just start providing some information as far as the research. We wanted to have the fire service to have another avenue to look at the research, to hear from the research, to try to bridge that gap between the tactics and the research. And um, now I'm pretty proud of it. It's uh, like you said, in the beginning, it was pretty ugly for a long time because we were, Sean and I were talking about some stuff that the fire service as a whole, I don't think was ready for. You know, you look at uh, some of the stuff that we were talking about then and the amount of hate mail and threats that we had. And, you know, so it got kind of ugly there for quite a few years, but, but we stood strong in our, in our beliefs because we knew it was right. And if you look today, if we posted a video today, if I went all the way back to the very beginning and took one of those videos and posted that video today, we would have none of the hate that we had uh, when we started the page because the fire service has evolved. And I like to think that, you know, Sean and I had a very, very small piece of that because we continued to share what we knew was right based on the research and science. Amen. Preach. <laughs> so uh, one of the the exercises that you guys do regularly on your social media pages is, is posting the go or no go size up exercises where you might have a photo, you might have a video of a, of a working structure fire. So what, what does that phrase mean uh, for those who aren't familiar go or no go? And then what question, questions do you typically ask during these exercises? So the go, no go. So that's actually from Mike Galliano, um, retired captain out of Seattle, who's a very good friend of ours. And he teaches a go, no go class uh, for FDIC. He's teached it for many, many years, has great results. So we reached out to Mike. We wanted to offer just another opportunity for our followers to get sets and reps because that's what it's, what's it about. You know, sets and reps of looking at a fire, looking at um, your department and yourself and determining on what you can do and what you can't do. And being a social media page, like I mentioned, my recruits, we have firefighters that are responding with, you know, they have three firefighters in their entire department, or we have big city firefighters, you know, that, that are responding. So for every individual looking at the photo or looking at the video, it's going to be a different response, right? Sean and I, when we, we teach, one of the very first things we, we put up in, in our class is a picture of a silver bullet. And we tell them we're not here to tell you how to fight your fires because every one of our departments is different. We come to the table with different resources um, and many, many different tools. Our goals are the same, but how we get there is always going to be different. So the go, no go is just getting sets and reps by putting some fire ground video or photos up 
and having firefighters across the country take a look at it from their perspective, from their training, from their education, from their their department's perspective and say, hey, how are we going to handle that? Is this something we can go interior on? Is this something we should go interior on? Is this something we're going to utilize a transitional tack? Are there places that are that we can search in this building or can we not search? And what we can search here in East Haven, Jim, is going to be different from what you can search in your department based on our resources. So mm-hmm. a lot of the controversy and some of the banter goes back and forth with a lot of our followers not understanding other followers' perspectives or resources available. You know, and we have international followers on there too. So their perspective is very, very different than what ours is. Right. So for us, it's just building on what Mike Galliano has done for many, many years. And it's actually, uh, you know, we credit him with it um, because it's just setting reps, man, just looking at the fire ground, looking at photos and figuring out what you can do or can't do with what you have available to you. That's true. And, and we all have different resources uh, and training also within our own fire departments, um, different staffing. Um, so that answer uh, for each exercise that you guys post is definitely going to be different for each individual firefighter who who looks at those exercises. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Mike because uh, he had an amazing firefighter success podcast that we recorded a couple months ago. So everyone go back and check that out in the archive if you haven't listened to it yet. He's just such a great guy uh, who offers so, so many great perspectives um, on different things, much like PJ here. Um, so definitely listen to Mike's uh, episode as well. Uh, but PJ, you and Captain Gray, you also wrote the book, The Evolving Fireground Research-Based Tactics. So again, what I love in the title right there is that word evolving, right? And you also have research using the title and you referenced that in the last question uh, that you just answered. So the word evolving definitely applies to everything we do as firefighters, you know, because the fire ground, our fire departments, the fire service as a whole, we are constantly changing and we have to evolve. We have to change with it. But when it comes to research, you know, how has research and science impacted our strategies and let's say our tactics as firefighters? So thanks for mentioning the book. You know, it's a, it was a, a project of love, something I never felt that I would be capable of doing. So thankfully for Sean, he kind of kind of rode his coattails on this. Sean was a, a big push for this book. And, and the goal was to help bridge the gap between the science and the research industry. You know, when I look at the research reports, you know, that's that uh, UL puts out, um, they're great bodies of work, right? Tons of information, thousands of pages of data and just information. And I often found that many firefighters weren't really reading those research reports. You know, they read the, you know, the, the highlights page, maybe skim through, look at some pictures and videos, but there was many pieces and parts of the research that was being missed because it was buried in these extremely extensive and well put together reports. So when Sean and I set out, it was to help bridge the gap between the research and the science and the actual streets by offering some tactical you know, considerations and just to further educate the fire service on the evolving fire ground and what has changed. You know, the book is small and that was our goal. We wanted to keep it less than 200, 250 pages. We wanted to make sure that, you know, an, an average firefighter um, could pick the book up uh, and not truly want to set it down, or if he or she set it down, they could come back to it, just pick it back up, and they could reference back to it. And we believe that if they're smarter, they're gonna that you can be more aggressive. So really coupling and breaking down the, the research into you know the topics of fire behavior, ventilation, fire attack, 
you know, search and rescue, you know, talking about building construction, talking about lesson learns uh, to really help the fire service evolve for those that aren't reading the reports, that those that are not going on UL training academy and doing the free training modules that they have available. But we'll we'll pick up a book and, you know, and thumb through it and maybe they'll pick something up out of it. And, and that's really what we need um, as firefighters and in writing, you know, firefighter functional fitness with Dan Kerrigan and also now firefighter success. Fires, firefighters want it simplified, right? We want it as simple as possible. Give me the information and let me know how to apply it to what I'm actually doing, right? And I, I believe that's what you guys achieved uh, through your book. And that's what's so great about it is that you took all this research that is incredibly important and you made it applicable to every firefighter and not only improving their tactics, their strategies, um, but also their safety as well, which is you know paramount for all of us as firefighters. And also, you know, property conservation and the safety of the citizens we serve as well. So all of it's important. And, you know, I know some firefighters, you know, they might hear the word research or science and fire behavior or, or even, you know, the modern fire environment. And they might roll their eyes or whatever. Um, but it's really important stuff because it really does impact um, the way we do our job because so much has evolved. There's that word again. So much has changed uh, when it comes to the modern fire environment. So uh, as a follow-up to that last question, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the key terms or maybe some of the key ideas um, that you could pass on from the book that every firefighter should really know? So some of the key terms or, or the, the basics in that I, I really like firefighters to focus on is the basic fire behavior and fire dynamics examples. You know, when we go to recruit school or we go through firefighter one training, um, we spend, you know, maybe a three hour lesson on, on fire behavior and we move on. Um, you know, where if you look at overseas models, they're, they're spending weeks on fire behavior and fire education. And I think if you take this book and you put all the tactical pieces aside and you take all the training education we have, and we put all the tactical stuff aside, and we really focus on the fire behavior and learning as much as we can about fire behavior and the physics of fire, um, our tactics get better when we have a better understanding of the fire ground. And that all starts with the, the flame. You know, we teach uh, classes and we, we ask a question and it makes me, and I kind of laugh even as I'm going to say it. And we'll ask a question, what's the hottest part of the flame? We put up a little picture of a candle and we have everybody in the class pick A, B, or C. And it's either the bottom of the candle, where the wick is, the middle of the flame, or the very tip. And we have yet to teach a class where the majority actually get it right. So the most mm. basic piece of the, the fire ground, the flame, right? We as a fire service don't even understand what the hottest part of that is because we don't understand the fire behavior, the, fire, the physics, the basic parts of our fire ground. You know, and that's where, you know, the dollhouse burns come out of. You know, the dollhouse burns, uh, that uh, the small scale fire behavior box that came out of, out of Europe in Sweden. And Sean had got those plans from uh, Ed Hart, who's a chief out in uh, Wibley Islands. And we started playing around with it. Man, we, we can probably do something with this. And we were learning more. We were burning. We were learning more. And we had a captain here in Connecticut said, you know, called me up and said, PJ, we come to that class. Yeah, absolutely. He goes, but I, I want to burn that box. I said, all right, well, here's the plans. You, you build it. I'll, I'll burn it. You know, and we'll have some fun. <laughs> well, two weeks later, he calls me. He goes, you know, I'm going over these plans. And I'm looking at him. He goes, 
can I change these plans up and make it look more like a house and put like a peaked roof on it? It's like, yeah, I think that that's cool. Let, let's go for it. So Kat, he was uh, at the time, he was a captain, Matt Palmer at a Stanford, Connecticut. He took those dollhouse plans and modified it to what we all know now. And um, we started playing around with it. And that has truly made me a better firefighter and a better officer is the dollhouses, because I know more about the flame. I know more about the smoke. I know more about the fire behavior and the fire dynamics than I ever did in my career. And it's made me much, much better because I understand what's happening. Obviously, it's always going to be different because of the environment that it's in. But every fire, I know this goes against everything that many of us, including myself, has has ever said. We always say that every fire is different. Well, we need to kind of look at that a little bit deeper. The fire is not different. The fire is always the same because it's physics. It's the environment that it's in and the contents that are burning that's going to be different. But the fire mm. itself is always the same. because it's, it's straight up physics. So the more mm-hmm. that we learn about that, the more that we understand that, the better smarter and more aggressive that we're going to be. And, you know, and you kind of alluded to it, you know, uh, the eye rolls and the uh, research and, you know, uh, we hear all the time, well, the the more that that science stuff, it's going to make us less aggressive because we have to stay outside, you know, and and Sean and I kind of combat that with saying, I mean, the more, you know, the more you understand, the more aggressive you can be, the deeper you can go, the farther you can go, because you can predict of what is going to happen when, so you can protect yourself and protect those working with you and ultimately those in your community. So I love that you brought up that A word, <laughs> aggressive, right? Because yep. so many fi- so many firefighters will equate, when we're talking about the fire ground and a working fire, so many firefighters only equate the word aggressive with interior fire attack. And trust me, I'm a firefighter. I'm a fire captain who, who loves going interior and, and putting out the fire. However, I want you to dispel that myth of only interior fire attack is aggressive because I'll give my two cents right now. Say I pull up on a working fire. I see, I see fire blowing out a couple bedroom windows um, and I still need to do my 360. I'll I'll tell you what's aggressive. I'm going to tell my fire to stretch that attack line and start putting water on that fire as fast as possible, because I know that fast water puts out fires and makes the internal environment safer for everybody while I'm doing my 360 come back around. Hopefully my firefighter has darkened down that fire and then we can go interior to put out the rest of the fire and hopefully, you know, search and, and, and make the environment as, as safe as possible for us and for more importantly, the citizens uh, who may be inside. So I want to hear your thoughts on interior versus exterior, transitional, aggressive, not aggressive. What are all your thoughts on that? I say we need to get water on fire as quick as we can from wherever that is. The fire doesn't know where that water is coming in a window, coming in down the hallway, coming in through a doorway. All that it's going to do is react to the fire, the water being applied. So the sooner we can get water into the compartment, the better it's going to be. Now, I'm an advocate of, of exterior water, right? Transitional tack, call it, you know, whatever you want. Um, but it's not for every fire. It's not for every situation. It's, and, I, and that whole catchphrase, mm-hmm. a tool in the toolbox, right? There's the right time and right place for every tactic, right? But for so many years, 
that was shamed. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't put water in the window. You can't put water from the outside because it's going to have negative effects. It's going to push fire and all this stuff that's been dispelled because of science. Mm-hmm. Right? So our, our jobs is to protect lives and property. And I think sometimes we forget about that, that property piece. And if it's going to take my company a minute, minute and a half, two minutes to make an interior stretch, right? That fire is burning unchecked and uncontrolled for that minute, minute and a half or or two minutes while that interior stretch is being made. If you can put 40 gallons of water in the window from the outside and slow that fire progression down before you go interior, you're protecting property, right? Mm -hmm. You're saving lives, you're protecting property and you're making a safe environment. And listen, anybody who thinks that just because you put a little bit of water in from the outside means that you're not going in doesn't truly understand transitional attack, mm-hmm. right? No fire is going to be completely extinguished from standing out in the yard, right? We, we're putting that water in to reset the flash over, to slow the progression, to cool the environment, to decrease the gases, to then make entry, right? So I, I still, and you go, you go all the way back when we first started talking about this, I don't understand what the, I still don't understand why there's so many people against it, except for maybe they want to get their helmets a little bit dirtier. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, talk about the importance of the proper stream, right? So if I have a wide fog, uh, that may not be the best choice, correct? If I'm doing an exterior transitional attack, in a window, but I want you to elaborate that on a stream and selection and actual hitting the sea of the fire. That's important, right? Absolutely. And it's important to go back and I'm going to backtrack a little bit to understand what we talk about water mapping. You need to truly learn and understand when the water comes out of the nozzle, what's actually happening, right? Where's that water actually going? Going to be different between a straight stream and a fog nozzle. The air entrainment. With a fog nozzle, you're going to draw more air into that water stream, right? Which is not good for the the interior environment. So having a smooth bore or a very tight straight stream um, up off the ceiling is where you want it. It doesn't have to be a lot of water. And when I say water mapping, we try to encourage, you know, obviously go to the, the UL sites. There's plenty of free training and examples available. Um, but you can do this in, in your own burn building, right? Your own acquired structure. Line the floor with five-gallon buckets, right, in a, in a grid pattern. And then put the water in from the outside, pointing it up at the ceiling, and learn where the water's actually going to go within that room to make sure that you're getting complete coverage. You know, we've mm-hmm. always been taught we stretch our line, open it up, and flow water, and, you know, an O pattern, a Z pattern, U pattern, all these other things. But we ne- never really paid attention to where that water was actually going. So it's important for us to actually hit targets. So maybe in your burn buildings or required structures, you know, you know, put marks on the ceiling, um, put targets, and we have to flow water and hit certain things so we can truly focus on where our water is going and how it's coating those surfaces in those rooms. So yeah, so water from the outside or water from the inside, it's important to understand the difference of what's going to happen between a smooth bore or a fog nozzle as far as air entrainment and where that water is actually going once it comes out of that nozzle and how it's going to uh, coat a room or surf across the ceiling or wash down the walls. A bunch of different things have been said from a bunch of different people on call it whatever you want. But when you put the water into that room or into that environment, you need to understand where it's going and how it's getting there. Yeah. And how to use it properly, right? Yes. 
Uh, well, thanks for that clarification. And, you know, we could really go down this tangent, this this rabbit hole pretty far, but I do want to encourage people to, you know, check out your book, check out the UL research, which you said is free and there's just so much of it um, out there. Um, what is the UL website for, for people to check out, for firefighters to check out? So uh, Underwriter Laboratory, Fire Safety Research, um, I'm actually going to bring it up to make sure because they had a rebranding recently. So I want to make sure I get it right for you on this call. Yeah. So, and if nothing else, people can just Google it, right? UL yeah. Firefighter Research, right? Absolutely. But FSRI.org, Fire there you go. Safety Research Institute. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I got one last question for you, and it's one of my favorite questions I like to ask all those who have retired um, from the fire service. Um, and because I love the perspectives and, and different perspectives, I should say, that I get to hear. Um, but my last question for you, if you had to do it all over again, what is the best piece of advice you would give yourself? Hmm. I'm pausing there for a minute. Make sure this comes out right. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Take your time. <laughs> Not to get hung up in the drama, right? Mm. All of our firehouses, all of our firehouses, the fire services as a whole, there's drama associated with it. There's personalities, there's, there's egos, there's opinions, and we all have them. And it's not to get hung up in all of that. Go to work, do your job the best that you can every day. And listen, worry about your family. All right. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, when you retire, the only people that are truly standing there is your family with you. Um, so making sure that you always put your family first, work hard every day and not get sucked in by the drama. Because there can be a lot of drama. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chief BJ Norwood, thank you so much for coming on the Firefighter Success Podcast, you know, for spending time with us, for sharing your knowledge and your experience. So let everyone know how they can connect with you, how they can get your book, uh, check out your classes, your websites, and everything that you have to offer. Sure, Jim. Well, let me thank you for giving me this op opportunity. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I actually picked up uh, Dan's and your book, uh, the, the Firefighter Functional Fitness, this morning when I was kind of thumbing through it a little bit again and noticed that the, the pages are actually, you know, kind of rolled back a little bit more than a lot of the other books, which I was quite happy with, to be honest with nice. you. Nice. Nice. I like hearing that. And the other thing I noticed, I hope it wasn't during this sleep deprivation part, though, there's some coffee stains on the binder of the book. So, you know, it's gotten <laughs> some use. <laughs> I so, love it. so I, I appreciate the opportunity to take. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of yours as well and Dan's. Um, and, and I know you said a lot of nice things about me, but uh, I hope you're looking in the mirror then because you're, you're a mentor and many people look up to you and your work as well. So I appreciate that. As far as uh, me, I would encourage people to go to the, the, the UL uh, Fire Safety Research Institute, get their training, man. It, it's free. They have some amazing projects and research projects and training that's that's free and available um, to everybody. As far as fire, uh, fire service content for, for me, uh, stop leaving, start knowing on, on Twitter or Facebook. But a little disclaimer there, Sean Gray and myself have built that. Um, but now we have uh, kind of stepped back a little bit. We have some great people doing some great things on, on those social media platforms for us. It's grown to something that we couldn't man no longer manage by ourselves. So we have some great people uh, putting content up on a regular basis uh, and monitoring and controlling and responding to comments. You know, Galliano stuff is up there. Uh, Phil Jose, he's putting up uh, Art of Reading Smoke uh, on a regular basis now. We have Nick Salome, uh, Gary Bake, Broker, um, all doing some wonderful things for us all, all on that page. That's the best place to go. But I would also ask as a little uh, 
being a little selfish here, Connecticut Fire Academy. Look up uh, Connecticut Fire Academy on on Instagram, on Facebook, as well as Twitter. We've uh, relaunched and we're trying to rebrand the Fire Academy and behind a lot of the social media stuff there. So you can see all the good things that we're doing here in Connecticut. Um, as far as our book, Fire Engineering Books and Videos, uh, I didn't mention, you didn't mention today. just wanted to mention this, if you don't mind, Jim, we have our book, but Sean and I also have the, the DVD, which came out prior to the book. I know DVDs are a hard thing to even play anymore these days <laughs> um, but i'm sure on the fire engineering uh, books and videos website they have some other opportunities to stream content so our dvd is also there and then one last thing uh project i'm very proud of our tactical perspectives dvd series which i did with very good friends of mine uh avillo uh frank ritchie um jim duffy and i always have to say this and, and give this shout out to also a good friend of ours chris pepler who passed away from cancer uh, you could also get that streaming from uh, fire engineering books and videos. And we did all that before the, a lot of the research projects came out. And what you'll find is it's still relevant, appropriate information today. So sorry for that long winded thing there, Jim, but I wanted to get a few things out there. No, that's awesome. I want to make sure that uh, everybody can connect with everything you're doing, which is a lot of different stuff and it's all great stuff. But again, Chief, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and to everyone out there listening, stay fit. Stay safe and remember when lives depend on us, success is our only option. Thanks for listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Go to firefightersuccessbook.com to learn more about the book, Firefighter Success, 20 C's to Firefighter Excellence. At the website, you can also download the free special report, 101 Rules for Firefighter Success.